Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Wario World, Wario World, party time, excellent. I feel like talking about Wario World today. It was a game that I enjoyed renting a few times, but we never really owned it. Then I watched Vinesauce play the game lately, and memories of the game just came flooding back to me. I started reading all about the game and some of its development, listening to the soundtrack, all that fun stuff. I feel like this game is mostly neglected. It has its fans, but you don't hear a lot of people talking about Wario World. It just kind of exists alongside Wario Master of Disguise in the realm of being between Wario Land and Wario Ware. Wario World is related to the Wario Land games, but it's in a 3D space. It's the only one of the Wario games to do that. It's a beat-em-up game with platformer elements, and it was released on the Nintendo GameCube in 2003. It was made by the company Treasure, the guys who got their start by making Gunstar Heroes. As for the plot of the game, don't go expecting too much. Wario's sitting in his fancy palace, laughing at how awesome and rich he is when, oops, one of the gemstones he plundered off-screen turned out to be an evil life form. I hate when that happens. The Black Jewel, as it's called, comes to life and rearranges reality. Wario is teleported to a weird pocket dimension called Treasure Square, and the jewel turns all his treasures into monsters. At least, according to the backstory. We never really see much evidence of the treasures becoming monsters, other than the fact that they drop coins when you beat them. After turning Wario's day rotten, the Black Jewel hides in a giant treasure chest for some reason, and Wario can only open it and destroy the monster if he can grab four special keys from the bosses of the four worlds in the game. And that's just what you do. Walk on over to World 1, enter the first level, and just go on to the next successive level until you've cleared all four worlds. There are two stages in each world, followed by a world boss fight. And after all said and done, you walk up to the giant treasure chest and BAM! Final boss time. The game is certainly on the short side. There's really nothing to do except for the eight levels, four bosses, and final battle. But to make up for it, the levels do start getting longer as you keep going, and they start throwing in a lot trickier platforming sequences and beefier monsters. The bosses at the end of every stage require you to collect a certain amount of rubies from these minigame rooms, and the entrance fee for each boss fight gets higher with each stage. The game's first stage, Greenhorn Forest, you could probably get to the boss and clear maybe three of the minigame rooms. You'll be fine. By the time you reach Pecan Sands, though, you'll be expected to solve pretty much all the minigame rooms, except for one, maybe two. On top of that, you have the side objective of collecting all of Wario's stray treasures. This doesn't really have much benefit, though. It's just a thing you can do for a score. Another collectible are the Wario statue body parts. Depending on your skill, you could probably get by just fine without grabbing them, but for every completed statue, it's another half unit of Wario's health increased. There's one statue for each regular stage, and they all make different Wario-esque poses. If you gather all of them, you'll have four additional hearts, 
added to your hit points. But the most important of all these side objectives would be the Spritelings. Throughout the levels, you'll find five different elf guys trapped in cages. Freeing them would give you a hint about the stage, and the number of freed Spritelings determines the ending. After Wario beats the Black Jewel, the Spritelings will build a new castle for him, and it's more lavish and extravagant based on the Spriteling count. I gotta say, Wario's a really picky guy, because a lot of these castle types really aren't half bad. But he'll still throw a fit if you don't get the best ending, or the second best ending. Like, like come on, Wario. Really, gotta be more grateful. And I remember I got the second best ending, and I really struggled with the game. So I feel like it's not too hard to get enough Spritelings for that, at least. Some of them are a little hard to reach, but you'll generally have an easier time than, say, collecting all the statue parts or some of the rubies. Being a beat-em-up, Wario World has notable emphasis on combat, as you would expect. Almost everything Wario does is an attack, except maybe his coin suction. He also has mad moves, which involve him picking up a dizzy monster and either throwing them a long distance, spinning them around like a hammer throw event, or subjecting them to a nasty pile driver attack. That third one was usually my favorite. It's also worth noting that these mad moves are often necessary when you interact with the environment. So I'd probably have a more pleasant time if I made use of the spinning attack, because that's a good way of crowd control when you have mobs of enemies. I should have done that more instead of just relying on the pile driver whenever I could get away with it. The game will throw plenty of mid-boss monsters and enemy swarms at you in addition to jam-packing the stage with monsters, and if I could be honest, it did get a little bit repetitive. There are five main enemy types in the game. First are the Magans, these dragon-ish guys who come in two forms, big and small. The little ones are the weakest enemies in the game, and the big ones are only slightly stronger. Crackdols are flying pterodactyls. Triceratops are exactly what you would think they'd look like, and they have a club that makes them immune to frontal attacks. They can also go into rampages. Then there's the Ankiron which is kind of like an ankylosaur, but with multiple cannons sticking out its back. These are the five monsters you'll fight the most in the game, bar none. And while they might all look like dinosaurs, they start mixing it up in World 2. Starting from there, all the monsters will be reskinned to fit the theme of whatever stage you're in. In the haunted house, they're all skeletal. In the circus, they're all replaced with clowns and pigeons. In the snow level, they're all snowman monsters. In the desert, they're all mummies. You see where I'm going with this. However, their competence, durability, and their strategies will evolve as you make progress. In the first stage, the little magans won't even attack you. Starting in World 3, the big magans take more punches to stun. Well, it gets a little tiring to see the same enemy types over and over, but with a different coat of paint. These subtle changes keep you from getting too comfortable from fighting them, so you're still on your toes. It's really more of a nuanced thing, so it's possible that you might not even notice. Maybe they should have done a little bit more in that department, but the fact that there's some change at all makes me think that they at least tried. 
And even then, if you're still kind of rolling your eyes at the enemy situation, you still want more variety, then you can rest assured that there are still other monster types in the game, but they're a lot less prominent, and they're all restricted to their debut stages. One thing I think is really unique about the game is the fact that in the stages, bottomless pits are completely non-lethal. You don't lose health. Instead, you land in the Unithorn Lair, where Wario has to find the escape spring before all the ghost rhinos take all his money away. Now on paper, that's a cool idea. It's a twist on the formula that also plays to Wario's priorities, but in practice, it's just a big time sink. The Unithorn Lair gets harder to navigate as the game goes on. I'll give Wario World this, it's consistent in scaling the difficulty upward. As I'm trying to say, escaping the Unithorn Lair gets harder as the game goes because the layout gets a lot more difficult to navigate. Escaping will become a bigger hassle as a result, and it's all because you mistimed a quick jump or an enemy knocked you askew in mid-pile driver. In some cases, it really would have been preferable to just lose the health. Healing in the game is also kind of weird. There are garlic dispensers all over the place, and you can pay them to feed you garlic, which is how you recover health. But they kick up the price for each piece of garlic. And garlic doesn't heal that much. So if you have a large health bar, and you let it get low, then you're going to be shelling out a lot of money for garlic. The starting price is pretty solid, but it goes up by 5 with each one, and the garlic only heals so much, as I said. If you die, you have the option of paying a few hundred coins to revive on the spot, or you'll just get kicked out of the level. And that might sound like a lot of money, but after a certain point, it's honestly cheaper than healing at the garlic vendor over and over, and money isn't that hard to come by. And you resurrect with full health. And there's no life counter, so it's not like you're going to get a game over and you only have limited amounts of times to revive yourself. It's really just better to die and pay the revival fee after a certain point. But dying isn't that easy to do, because you can't just throw yourself off a cliff, you'd end up in the Unithorn Lair! It's a little darkly amusing to think of how two separate features of the game work in harmony to really inconvenience the player. The game plays fast and loose with its motifs. World 1 is pretty straightforward, everything is kinda wilderness dinosaur based. It's referred to as Excitement Central, but I really don't know why. It's got some of the most boring stages in the whole game. World 2 is called Spooktastic World, and they mostly have a theme. The first stage is a haunted house. Okay, good, expected. The second stage is a circus. Mmm, kind of works. People like to conflate circuses and clowns with horror because everyone in the world is afraid of clowns anymore, I guess. Even though the level itself really isn't that scary, it's kind of typical circus-type platforming. There's kind of a factory section near the bottom, I think, but it's not spooky. And then the World 2 boss is just a two-headed dragon with a, a dopey Magikarp face. This is spooktastic? World 3 is called Thrillsville, and it has the ice level and a grassland level. I, I guess they were going for a seasonal thing, but they missed summer and autumn. 
And I don't know why they called it Thrillsville. The boss of Thrillsville is a muscular minotaur, and I have no clue how that relates to anything. I, I guess the Minotaur's arena has a lot of lava, so maybe you're supposed to think of summer, but it also takes place in a cave on a snowy mountain, so we're back in winter, and we've still forgotten autumn? This must be around the point where the game just kind of gave up on having cohesive motifs, because we get to World 4 and there's just nothing. It's called Sparkle Land. What does that mean? I don't know. Stage 1 is a creepy dollhouse joint with a lot of mirrors for tricky platforming. And stage 2 is a desert. And the boss of the world is a pirate captain on a pirate shipwreck. There is no cohesion whatsoever. I don't get it. I guess it just adds to the game's surreal identity. I mentioned in the WarioWare episode that the Japanese depictions of Wario always leaned more towards the wacky side. So, that could be shining through with this game. It really bugs me that the levels don't adhere to central themes as much as I think they should, but I guess there's no helping it. Between the repetition and the somewhat bare-bones itinerary of the eight levels, four bosses, one could get the impression that Wario World was a bit of a low-budget game. It especially... shines in the final boss battle. Earlier I described you walking up to the giant treasure box after beating World 4 and boom, you're fighting the jewel now. That's not an exaggeration. Y you beat the pirate captain at the end of Sparkle Land, you walk up to the treasure chest, it opens, there's like a five second cinematic, okay, you're fighting the jewel now. And it is a very monotonous boss fight. The black jewel will fire lasers, and make shockwaves while Wario has to re-rescue all the spritelings, even the ones he missed before. And they'll all make the jewel vulnerable to one of your mad moves. You do this for eight rounds, while the jewel just does the same thing over and over and over. No changes! It's a really boring fight and a really bummer way to end the game. At least, if you're not playing the Japanese version of the game. The European, Australian, and North American versions of Wario World were all released in 2003, and Treasure was starting to hit the deadline. But the Japanese version of the game came out about ten months later, and they completely revamped the final battle. Instead of spreading all 40 spritelings out throughout the phases, you save ten per round instead of five. That means that at half health, the Black Jewel does something different. It starts fighting Wario more directly and aggressively, with all new attacks. And the background music is replaced with a remix of the level 1 theme, which was used in some of the game's early reveal trailers. Now that's the kind of final boss I want to see, that's the kind of final boss that this game deserves. It's just too bad that they never remastered the game or anything, and that the GameCube is region locked, so... It's not like I can just buy a Japanese version of Wario World and put it in my American GameCube. Nope, I don't get that boss fight. While it might sound like I've been dragging the game through the mud, I do want to turn in the other direction and say that the boss fights have always been a highlight to me. They're really simplistic at the start, but like all things in Wario World, 
They get trickier as you go. The boss of World 2 in the first stage is Airborne, so you have to find a way around that. The boss at the end of World 3 is outright immune to your attacks, so you need to find a different way to harm him. The first boss in World 4 plays a cup-hiding puzzle game, so you have to find his hiding spot. They start throwing all these tricks at you, and the fights are all really exciting and climactic. It's just a certain satisfaction to picking up these big jerks and giving them a pile driver they'll never forget five times in a row. Each battle also starts with Wario screaming, I'm a number one! And it just gets me pumped, like, yeah, you tell him, Wario. And of course, I gotta talk about the game's soundtrack. Today's favorite songs are the second part of the Wonky Circus theme, the Mean MC Boss theme, and the music for Pecan Sands. Wonky Circus 2 gets away from the generic circus sound from the first half of the level to focus on something more fast-paced, starting with what I think is a jazz flute. The Mean MC's theme, on the other hand, goes back to the whimsical circus-type sound. Mirror Mansion itself starts off with a quiet mystical piece before transitioning to what sounds like an evil abandoned carnival song during the second half. The mean MC carries on that carnival motif with his design, his boss fight, and his boss music, making for a suitable climax to the level. Then Pecan Sands, which is a very intense remix of the first stage's theme, fitting for the final stage of the game, I'd say. This is Wario's last major challenge, and it's not going to show any mercy, as he scales this giant structure in the desert. It's kind of a different approach compared to the other levels, both in presentation and platforming. It also sort of reminds us of how far we've come, since, you know, it's kind of the same song as level one. Special shout-out to two extra songs, though. One is a track that I mentioned earlier for the Japanese Final Boss's second phase. That song just oozes with Wario's personality, and I like how it only plays during the second half of the fight, as if to suggest that Wario has the upper hand now. It's more Wario's boss theme than the Black Jewels at this point. I always love when boss fight music goes in that direction, really affirms the hero's victory at hand. I don't know if I'd call Wario a hero, but, you know, compared to a evil jewel, sure. And while this isn't a song that I like... I think no discussion of Wario World is complete without talking about the pause music. You, you press pause, and you can listen to Wario going, nah, 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 slowly and obnoxiously. If you can somehow sit through that for 50 minutes, he'll say, sorry, and stop. Who found that? <laughs> who, who's playing Wario World? and just leaving it on pause for 50 minutes and not going insane at that sound. Who was the first person to discover that? And why does that exist? And, and that's Wario World. This game, it definitely has its issues, but I think it's worth experiencing if you like Wario, or if you want to try a beat-em-up from the sixth generation of game consoles. I definitely want to give it another go, though having to deal with the American version of the final battle is a bit of a letdown. If the game were released nowadays, 
I feel like they could have patched the new fight in, or maybe added a mode that features the better final boss. But this was before game developers could do stuff like that. It's kind of the beauty and the curse of games in the old days. What you bought was what you got. If you like hearing me talk for too long about a GameCube game that got mostly ignored, then feel free to subscribe to the BitCast on Podcast One's website or mobile app, or just keep listening on iTunes, and tell all your Wario-loving friends about it. If they exist. I don't know, maybe they're all like my brother and they just flock to Waluigi instead. With that, I'll see you on the next one. Wario World! Wario World! Party time! Excellent! Listen to BidCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.